Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.03 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 15th of June, 2021. This is episode 438 of Bitcoin and wherein Mr. Saylor performs a speculative attack on his own company to rid itself of the vestigial trappings of the legacy fiat system upon which it arose. Schiff may say he's burning it down. I await the rising of the phoenix from its own ashes. Let the entertainment commence. Wow, Mike, as if I couldn't be like, I thought I was surprised on his other offerings, but this one is beyond the pale. It is completely different. I've never even heard of this shit before, man. I mean, I've, I, I've, I've never even theorized about this, much less actually seen it in action. What am I talking about? Well, Mike, I guess he just got bored with these $400 and $500 million Bitcoin purchases, and he's going after a billion dollars worth. And how's he going to do it? He's not going to offer he's not going to offer convertible shares or senior notes or anything like that. No, 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 no. Now he's just going to straight up sell class A shares of MicroStrategy stock to people and use that money for Bitcoin. Yes, Peter Schiff is losing his absolute aping mind, but honestly, it's an interesting situation, is it not? And the entertainment should the entertainment value should be like like in the stratosphere when we watch this shit occur. Now, the filing for this was announced yes what was well it was filed yesterday and the announcement was also yesterday by Michael Saylor himself. So let's look at what what exactly is Michael talking about? Well, he says in the tweet that he announces uh, he's, he just says, MicroStrategy launches, quote, at the market, end quote, securities offering for flexibility to sell up to $1 billion of its Class A common stock over time. And then he provides us the prospectus. Now, that prospectus was filed yesterday. And let's see here. It was... It is a Form S3 registration statement. It was filed June the 14th, 2021 for MicroStrategy, and lo and behold, what do we have here? The calculation of the registration fee. It is, in fact, going to be $1 billion U.S. worth of MicroStrategy Class A shares, and the registration fee to do this cost them $109,000, or actually $109,100. Just to list it, cost them a hundred grand, man. I, you know, and you wonder why nobody wants to actually do anything, you know, at all, because you're either going to be regulated into a smoldering hole in the ground, or they're going to take as much money from you as they can. 
even though they have absolutely nothing to do with it. The SEC is just like, the, to file paperwork on this little son of a bitch cost him $109,000. I'm not even going to talk about the fact that that's not fair. Of course, life isn't fair, but what does the SEC act actually do at this point? Except, take you know, they file paperwork, they charge you a shit ton of money, and then they <clears throat> regulate the crap out of people. And when people violate those regulations in a horrific way, they get what? A slap on the wrist and a fine that maybe reflects 1.5% of the money that they illicitly made. I'm looking at you, Eos. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. So now um, I want to read a little bit from the prospectus here. Uh, it's the first couple of paragraphs from it. He says, or the, the prospectus says this, we may offer and sell shares of our class A common stock from time to time in one or more offerings. This prospectus describes the terms of our class A common stock and the general manner in which our class A common stock will be offered. We will describe the specific manner in which our class A common stock will be offered and may also supplement, update, or amend information contained in this document. You should read this prospectus and any applicable prospectus supplement before you invest. We may offer our Class A common stock in amounts, at prices, and on terms determined at the time of offering. Our Class A common stock may be sold directly to you through agents or through underwriters and dealers. If agents, underwriters, or dealers are used to sell our Class A common stock, we will name them and describe their compensation in a prospectus supplement. Our Class A common stock is listed on the NASDAQ Global Select Market under the symbol MSTR. So they're selling their own, the, whatever the company owns in shares, they are sell, going to sell up to a billion dollars worth of it. And they're going to do it, I love, the, I love the language, from time to time. Is it possible that these guys got a little bored with always having to go through a single registration process every time they want to you know, pull off $100 million, $250 million, $400 million you know, purchase. No, no I, I'm, I'm starting to think that that might be the case because now this just allows them <clears throat> to leverage their stock to buy Bitcoin from time to time at prices they see fit without having to go through the registration process and possibly miss the dip. I think, I kind of think that that's what's going on here. But I've never even heard, I've never heard of this before. Uh, and I'm sure it's because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a trading professional. I, I, I don't cut my teeth on, on the bagels over at Starbucks before I walk into a commodities floor or something like that in New York City, All right? If you've heard about this shit before in some other format, please let me know, man. My DMs are open. It's at B-E-N-N-D-7-7. That is at B-E-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. And speaking of, huge, massive shout out to Brady from Citizen Bitcoin. Dude, you lit up, you lit up. My, my notifications are, have melted down over the night. Now, apparently they kind of slowed down this morning, but Brady gave me a shout out yesterday, the likes of which elicited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reactions. I can't even keep up with them all. I was trying last night as best I could to get through, you know, to reply to all the people that replied to it or 
said something to me or something like that. And I, I had to go to bed and I woke up this morning and I'm like, holy shit. I, I don't think there's any way that I can get through this. But Brady, dude, you, 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 you successfully like nuked my notifications and it was, it was an honor and it was a thing of beauty to watch. I can't, I can't thank you enough. He mentioned the podcast and in a tweet and, and, um, wow. Yeah. Just, I, I, I kind of don't know what to say. I, I mean, I'm like, it, it's really heartening when all of a sudden you wonder why your, your notifications are melting down and somebody who you respect in the space, you know, gave you a, a the high, one of the highest quality shout outs that, that you can get. And, and, and man, I got to tell you how much I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. The words don't, don't exist for that. I hope that you're going to be at Bitblock Boom, Brady. I will definitely buy you rounds of beers or whatever it is that we may be swilling on. If you come to the Dallas uh, Bitcoin meetup at Bitblock Boom, I, I know I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So anyway, let on with the show, bitches. Small Bitcoin transfers in El Salvador have surged. Gee, you think Bitcoin Magazine's Peter Chihuahua's got it. With its president making it the first country to recognize Bitcoin as legal tender and inviting miners to set up shop amongst its volcanoes, El Salvador is currently at the epicenter of the Bitcoin universe. And even though these developments are relatively new, an embrace of BTC has been demonstrably underway in the country's everyday use of Bitcoin as a financial rail. Quote, monthly Bitcoin transfers of under $1,000, a proxy for money sent to the country from Salvadorans working abroad, totaled $1.7 million in May, compared to $424,000 one year earlier. According to data from blockchain analysis firm Chain Analysis, shared exclusively with Reuters, such transfers hit a peak of 2.5 million in March, though a comparison with the previous year was unavailable. Projects like Bitcoin Beach, a circular Bitcoin economy established in the country's El Zonte community, have already demonstrated how people in El Salvador can benefit from using Bitcoin for everyday purchases. And the recent moves this month from its president will doubtlessly increase the use of Bitcoin on a state level. But the growing trend in smaller Bitcoin transfer demonstrates that Salvadorans are finding Bitcoin as a critical tool for international remittances upon which they are significantly dependent. Quote, El Salvador is heavily reliant on remittances per Reuters. Quote, in 2019, transfers using traditional money totaled nearly $6 billion, around a fifth of its GDP, one of the highest ratios in the world, end quote. If the technical infrastructure needed to facilitate Bitcoin transactions is established, BTC can be an incredibly efficient method for sending and receiving remittances. It is free from the third parties and regulators that can hamper or collect fees on such payments, and with additional layers like the Lightning Network, transactions can be near instantaneous and incredibly cheap. Oh, unfairly cheap. You missed it. You ah, you missed the ability to say unfairly cheap. Ah, oh, dude. Lightning Network payments platform Strike launched for customers in El Salvador in March and quickly became one of the most downloaded apps in the country. So, 
looks like uh, traction. Well, traction on Bitcoin in El Salvador was already there. You don't get the president of a company making it legal tender without a fair amount of traction already occurring in the in 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 the space, right? So, but even it's I mean it's like we're laying down even more wheels. <laughs> We're getting even more traction. So hats off to the El Salvadorans. Um, $1.3 million worth of BTC has been donated to a Bitcoin holding charity in less than three weeks. I'm a little skeptical, but I don't know. I, it's just, I'm, I'm starting to lose faith in a lot of humanity. So we'll, we'll have to see what goes on here. But Brian Quarmby is going to give us the lowdown from Cointelegraph here. New York-based nonprofit charity Water has received more than $1 million in BTC donations to its Bitcoin Water Trust within three weeks of the trust's launch. The Bitcoin Water Trust was announced during the 2021 Bitcoin Conference in Miami. The initiative attracted attention for its hodl-modal treasury management strat strategy with the nonprofit accepting donations in Bitcoin that it will not touch until 2025. According to the charity's website, a total of 32.59 BTC has been donated so far, which equates to more than $1.3 million at current prices. The charity is hoping to leverage the hypothetical gains Bitcoin could make over the coming years. A June 14th blog post from U.S.-based crypto exchange Gemini, which is providing crypto custody services for the trust, asserts that donations received by the charity today could have a much larger impact if held into the future. Quote, the new charity model, HODL model, <laughs> maybe it's HODL model, HODL model, yeah, it's, gonna, it's gotta be HODL model, H-O-D-L-M-O-D-L, -O -O creates a new paradigm for charitable giving. It gives or it brings the HODL ethos of Bitcoin to charitable giving and means your Bitcoin donation today could make an even bigger impact tomorrow, end quote. <clears throat> Gemini's founders, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss, have also agreed to match the first 50 Bitcoin donated to the Bitcoin Water Trust. Quote, we're thrilled to help a fellow mission-driven organization like Charity, Water, accept Bitcoin and maximize its humanitarian efforts, the Post added. Charity Water was founded in 2006 with the nonprofit working to launch community-owned water projects that provide clean water and sanitation to developing nations. The organization first began accepting Bitcoin donations back in 2014. Damn, that's some, that's some far-sightedness, man. Good job, y'all. Charity has become a popular topic within the crypto industry in recent months after Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin donated billions of dollars worth or billions worth of SHIB tokens that had been airdropped to his wallet by the meme coins creators. Oh, for fuck's sake, guys. If I donate a worthless token, I, I don't I I don't really count that as an actual donation. He dropped the price he dropped the price price of SHIB to the floor on that little maneuver. It's ridiculous, man. I'm not even let's see. Uh they have a little bit more about buterin, blah blah blah. Yeah, I'm not even gonna say that one. We'll do this one. Uh, last paragraph. On May the 31st, the Human Rights Foundation launched several Bitcoin-based grants as part of its $210,000 Bitcoin development fund. Sorry, I, I couldn't, I just, they went into praising Buterin and I, I just don't think that that little boy needs any kind of praise whatsoever for the bullshit that he pulled. 
I mean, he rug pulled so many people when he was doing, he was getting rid of his tokens that had been airdropped to him. Why he even got these tokens airdropped to him by these shitcoin creators in the first place is beyond my imaginings. But all I can say is, what did you expect to happen? And have fun getting your ass handed to you. Moving on, I see fire. Obi Nwosu, uh, co-founder of CoinFloor. He uh, writes like basically a weekly thing, and I like reading them because Obi knows how to write. So uh, it's always in BTC Times, and this one came out this morning. For anyone still unsure what the El Salvador news means, I'll tell you. It means Bitcoin won completely, finally, and irrevocably. Less than 13 years ago, Bitcoin was just an idea in an obscure white paper. Today, it is set to be the fully-fledged currency of a sovereign nation with enormous implications for any future attempt to strangle, stifle, or censor Bitcoin. That in itself is astonishing even to believers like me who knew this day would come eventually. Of course, some people have scoffed that if any nation adopted Bitcoin, it would be somewhere like El Salvador. They're right. It is the perfect country for Bitcoin, but not for the ignorant reasons you'll see on social media. El Salvador is not a rich country, but it's not an especially small one. With a population of almost 7 million, it's larger than many European nations like Ireland and Denmark, whose wealth gives them influence on the world stage that's out of proportion to their population. El Salvador, though, can only dream of wielding such clout. If problems, or rather its problems, are poverty and geography, this is a nation where 70% of the people still don't have a bank account and where topography and geology have both played their part in keeping the people poor. Agriculture, industry, uh, communications, and all the other requisites of a strong economy are difficult when you have a chain of volcanoes running the length of your country. But what makes El Salvador such an unlikely destination for inward investment is precisely what makes it perfect for Bitcoin. That's because Bitcoin just isn't a coin or a currency. It's a ready-made financial ecosystem open and available to anyone, individual institution and now nation state. El Salvador has been trying to build a banking infrastructure for decades with little success. Bitcoin will provide this almost overnight. Bitcoin also frees El Salvadorans from extortionate fees for remitting money from abroad. In 2016, remittances accounted for almost 20% of the country's entire economy, but the eye-watering expense of international transfer fees is yet another factor helping keeping people in poverty. Again, problem solved. With Bitcoin, those earnings abroad can bypass these fees and remit money home quickly and cheaply. And given that Bitcoin is now legal tender, recipients won't have to exchange it to another currency to use it. So yes, it was always going to be a country like El Salvador that adopted Bitcoin first. As I've written before, Bitcoin may be a store of wealth for the haves in the West, but for the have-nots on the, in the global South, it's a way out of poverty. Remember that the next time you see somebody sneer that Bitcoin and Banana Republic are made for each other. They're just showing how little they care about the financial self-sovereignty of the poorest, most left-behind people on the planet. But there's one thing neither I nor anyone else to my knowledge predicted, which is that the first country to adopt Bitcoin would turn a historic encumbrance into an advantage. But that's exactly what El Salvador plans to do by using geothermal energy from its volcanoes to power Bitcoin mining facilities. 
by harnessing this inexhaustible reserve of cheap, renewable, zero-carbon energy, El Salvador will become a mecca for miners, attracting the crucial inward investment it's lacked for so long. Believing in Bitcoin hasn't always been an easy ride. <laughs> yeah, no shit, dude. Especially in recent weeks. It's a matter of shredded nerves, sudden hope, dashed dreams, and faith tested almost beyond endurance. So let us enjoy this victory both for ourselves, but just as importantly for the have-nots of this world. But what about the global haves? How will they react to the end of the dollar, euro, and yuan hegemonies? Like anyone in grief, they will go through five stages. We've already seen, we're already seeing plenty of denial, but hell hath no fury like a nation-state scorned, so get ready for the flames of anger. It doesn't matter that new or every new claim about Bitcoin will be more and more outlandish and ever less rooted in reality. The haves will all always find an angle to attack Bitcoin, no matter how bonkers. So brace yourselves, Bitcoiners, for more eruptions. <clears throat> Get it? And not just the beneficial kind. Victory is now inevitable, but there will be fire and brimstone to navigate on the road to hegemony. And he's right again. I agree with every single thing he said. Like literally like every single thing he said. However, what I what I will say is that like as an addition, um, you drop down a, a, a Bitcoin mining farm at the foot of a volcano that's attached to geothermal energy and you start powering the miners and people, you know, will, you know, the have screech and squawk and say, but it's doing nothing but making people rich. Oh, my God. OK, well, they're not rich, so they should probably, you know, be able to. It should help them get some money. Now, what do you do with that money? Because the screechers are going to say the following. Yeah, but you, see, you, you, you have no power infrastructure. Oh, my God. And, and here you are with your geothermal shit that just terminates into this black hole of Bitcoin mining. Yeah, well, guess what, bitches? They spend that money or they will rather convert that. Or I hope they don't. But in whatever way, the Bitcoin earned on subsidy and fees can then be used to start building high tension, high voltage lines that go from the geothermal plant where the miners are at to populated regions. And then all of a sudden, Bitcoin helped them build their electrical infrastructure. Okay, so let's say, let's just kind of, let's continue on in that vein. So now all of a sudden, well, you've got high voltage lines connected to, oh, I don't know, San Salvador. I, I think that's the capital, but I, I don't want to be a complete, you know, geographical idiot. <clears throat> so now you've got high tension lines powering San Salvador. And all of a sudden, the Bitcoin miners only get 50% of the power from the geothermal uh, place that they're at. And then the, the haves will squawk and they'll squeal and they'll say, see, you're cannibalizing yourself. Oh my God, see how stupid and how short-sighted you were? And then when the power drops to only 25% of the Bitcoin miners are, are able to be fed because 75% of the energy generated from said geothermal site is being transmitted to San Salvador across the lines, the very lines that Bitcoin built. What happens? The miners pick up and they go to the next newly and freshly installed geothermal plant that has, again, no high tension lines to anywhere. And you plop down the miners and you rinse and you repeat until the entire country of El Salvador is electrified. 
Bitcoin will build their electrical infrastructure. The very thing that the squawkers will say is the very thing that Bitcoin destroys. We've destroyed the narrative that we're not allowing electrical infrastructure because we're just sucking energy into a black hole. No, that's not going to happen. I guarantee you the president, parliament, the next presidents, the next parliaments are going to leverage the amount, the money that they're making off of Bitcoin to build out the electrical infrastructure. I really am starting to wholeheartedly believe that the reason we've seen so much communism, so much socialism, so much bullshit in South American and Central American countries is because the G8 or G7, however you want to term it, the central banks, the IMF, the World Economic Forum, the Council of Nations or whatever, all these little private clubs that you and I are not a part of are causing such strife that it seems like, like they're looking through a pinhole of a way out. And the, the first thing they see is, well, communism will work or socialism will work because they sure as shit can't engage in capitalism. Now, can they? So what else are they going to do? They're going to look for some other structure to organize under. When Bitcoin hits, it's real possible that they just free themselves from the shackles of communism and socialism and whatever other ism and finally just start looking at being free because they don't need any of this shit. And Bitcoin is going to build that electrical infrastructure and then it's going to start building other infrastructures. There's, they're probably going to, I mean, it's, they get a lot of rain in El Salvador and guess what happens with rain? You get lakes. Guess what happens with lakes? They're fed by rivers, which is moving water, which provide what? Hydroelectric. And let's go, bitches. I'm just saying. IRS now targeting illicit Bitcoin trading on Telegram. Oh my God. They're so they're so paranoid all the time now. Decrypts Matthew DeSalvo has it. <clears throat> the IRS has got its eye on Bitcoin. And when it comes to financial crime, there's one thing it is closely watching. Telegram. According to the IRS, secretive chats on Telegram, uh, me, uh, oh, sorry, hold on. According to the IRS, secretive chats on Telegram, a privacy-preserving chat app that end-to-end -end encrypts users' messages, are right now one of the most worrying things for law enforcement officials. Oh, oh, they're all shaking in their boots. Oh my God, oh, they're so scared. That's because peer-to-peer -peer exchanges that operate on the popular instant messaging app can quickly and easily shift dirty or stolen funds. Special agent of the IRS's Cyber Crimes Unit, Chris Jakowalski, told Decrypt, the IRS is these days paying much closer attention to crypto crime and the wider crypto market in general. President Biden, who can barely speak for 20 seconds at a time, his administration last month unveiled a new tax plan that would force businesses that conduct cryptocurrency transfers of $10,000 or more to report these dealings to the IRS. And last week, IRS Commissioner Chief, Re or uh, sorry, Commissioner Charles Redding or Rettig, sorry, yeah, Rettig, asked for explicit congressional authority to regulate cryptocurrencies and more closely monitor and collect crypto data. The U.S. Treasury Department said recently that cryptocurrency already poses a significant detection problem by facilitating illegal activity, end quote. Jack Jankzewski, or however you pronounce his name, who in, 28, who in 2018 helped to bust a massive child porn site by examining Bitcoin transactions, said he was less worried about potential illegal activity on standard exchanges or even coin swap protocols such as Shapeshift, which was the center of a Wall Street journey money laundering investigation in 2018. 
quote, I don't think personally that these types of exchanges are a big threat or as big of a threat as these P2P exchanges. Yeah, good luck, dude. Traders based in China that are neither nested in other exchanges or that are nested in other exchanges, he said. He added that there is often a network of people that want to convert crypto into fiat. Such groups work very similar to the popular marketplace localbitcoins.com, which it advertises lists of offers to buy or sell Bitcoin or other cryptos. If it looks attractive, you simply message the buyer seller and the deal is done and no middleman takes a cut, which is the case <clears throat> with an exchange such as Coinbase, Kraken or Binance. Known as over-the-counter trading, there are plenty of groups like these on Telegram. Many are secretive, but if you know where to look, they can be easy to access. Decrypt found offers to buy crypto worth $150,000 within minutes on the app. Jansowski said that quite often buyers will be based in China or other countries with access to exchanges with more relaxed know-your-customer regulations. Illicit funds can then move through exchanges and be converted to fiat bit by bit or vice versa. Quote, they will often have blanket access to the banking system, he said. You can move $100 million to the bank, but they won't let you exchange $100 million on an exchange. End quote. Huge amounts of money can be moved around. Jankowski made reference to a case last year where two Chinese nationals allegedly laundered $105.5 million in stolen cryptocurrency for the North Korean government. The funds were allegedly dis uh, dispersed into Chinese bank accounts, iTunes gift cards, and made use of at least one U.S.-based exchange. Ironically, criminals who often deal in Bitcoin may end up in the most trouble. This is because Bitcoin, contrary to popular belief, is a transparent cryptocurrency network and transactions are relatively straightforward to track on the blockchain. That makes criminal activity associated with Bitcoin easy to follow for law enforcement and recently highlighted by the New York Times. And that's the end of the article. But I will say this about the uh, ease of, of tracking Bitcoin transactions. Yeah, that's a Trojan horse. Because right now they're going to get used, they're going to get used to it. The regulators, the, the, the law enforcement guys, they're just going to, they're going to completely relax. I, I guarantee it. I promise they're going to completely relax. And what's going to happen then <clears throat> is they're going to get used to the situation where they can track everything. And slowly but surely, BIPs or Bitcoin Improvement Protocols are going to fall from the sky and it's going to obfuscate everything. Either, either directly on the chain with BIPs or the plethora, and I use that word liberally, the plethora of second and third and fourth and fifth layers that go on top of Bitcoin. Sure, have fun tracking a batch transaction of 100 million transactions that those themselves are all batched transactions of more than 10, and those are batched, batched transactions of at least two or more when you get all the way up the chain. And then think about all the BIPs that are going to be locked in on the base chain, and they ain't got shit to say about it. I mean, I will, I, I will download that software. I will download that software. I will run it on my node. I will, I will support the network from my Raspberry Pi. And they ain't got shit to say about it. And if they do have shit to say about it, then I will locate that my Raspberry Pi, I don't know, I'll go to some podunk-ass town 
and somehow or another sweet talk my way back into the IT stack because everybody's got computers. I will hook my node up to their fucking router. I will hide it. They will never see it. And I'll let it run 80 miles away from my ass and check on it remotely. Fuck you. I'm tired of all the bullshit. It's all crap. Hey guys, let's run numbers. All right, commodities. Let's check it out. Um, this is something that I rarely ever see. I've got a flippening going on between Brent North Sea and West Texas Intermediate, and not in the price, but in the in the percentage surge. Generally speaking, Brent North Sea always costs more than West Texas Intermediate because it's got a lot more good stuff in it than West Texas Intermediate does. It's got some heavier compounds that could be used to make heavier heavier products. West Texas Intermediate is pretty much gasoline and, you know, turpentines and shit like that. In either event, though, generally speaking, Brent North Sea is always costs more than West Texas Intermediate, and its price moves seem to, you know, as of late, have always been more than West Texas Intermediate, except for today. I got West Texas Intermediate up 1.3%, coming in at $71.81. Brent North Sea, however, is only up 1.19% and it's coming in at $73.73. So we're actually, West Texas Intermediate is actually closing the gap on Brent North Sea. And I've, usually the gap is pretty pronounced, but not in this particular case. Natural gas, however, is to the downside by a third of a point. $3.34 is going to get you a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold and all the shiny metal rocks, well, not all of them, uh, palladium is up, but all the shiny metal rocks are down. Uh, gold is down a quarter of a point. Silver is down 1.2%, and platinum is down 1.36%. Copper's down damn near a full 4%. So, I don't know, man. Uh, like I said, palladium is the only one that's up. Mostly agricultural futures are all down, and wheat, wow, just got sucker punched, dude. $3, or not $3, 3.5% to the downside. Soybeans are up slightly. Corn is down 1.5%. Sugar is down one and a third. Coffee's down 2 And the rest are just, yeah, Indices. We got the Dow at, let's see, point, uh, well, a third of a point to the downside. S&P is uh, 0.2 to the downside. NASDAQ is 0.37 to the downside, and S&P Mini is almost down a full half point. So there you go. Now, real money. I got Bitcoin hovering just over $40,000. $40,086.06. transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 11,000 transactions on average per hour with 454 thousand BTC changing hands in that 24-hour period. That is 19,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average with the average transaction value at 1.74 BTC, the median transaction value at 0.023 BTC or right at 900 bucks. Block times square at 10 minutes. Uh, we're four seconds over those, so 10 minutes and four seconds. 0.29 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 40.44 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. A 5.6% drop in hash rate leaves us with 130.8 exahashes per second. 
So there you go. And uh, by the way, your uh, shitcoin indicator, as usual, is Dogecoin standing at 29 cents. That's 29 U.S. pennies. It shouldn't be a single penny. All right. Oh, wow. Scant transactions to be had. 5,860 are waiting on six blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization uh, just shy of $750 billion, which is 6.21% of gold's entire market cap. You can get 21.5 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,735,541.5 BTC in circulation at present time. 1,521.59 of those are locked in the Lightning Network with a capacity value of $60.8 million. That's being run. Oh, wow, we breached 12,000 nodes, guys. <laughs> Congratulations, man. You did well. You did well. Total nodes is uh, 12,021, and those are the ones that we can see. Another breach, channels, is over 50,000. We're at 50,036 channels uh, that we can see. Percentage of Tor capacity has fallen to 62.9%, and that means that there are 957 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. That being run over 6,239 nodes that we know about, that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. I got this one from CoinGape. Bushan Akalakar is writing this one. Ah, uh, and I just, it's like there's only one revenue model left to the nation states, and that's taxing the shit out of everybody. Kazakhstan could soon introduce a tax on crypto mining operations. Can y'all like literally not find any other way to make money? You're a nation state. Hell, even corporations have multiple income streams. For God's sakes, man, just get with it. Shit, 21st century and shit. Crypto mining has been a hot topic of discussion at this stage. And with China cracking down on local miners, Kazakhstan has emerged as the next big destination for crypto miners. With a major influx of crypto miners over the last few weeks, Kazakhstan is now considering ending the tax-free regime for crypto miners and data centers. Lawmakers are now proposing an amendment to the tax code of Kazakhstan to stop the uncontrolled electricity consumption by crypto mining firms or farms. The amendment proposes a very minimal tax fee, yeah, for now, of one tenge per kilowatt hour or per kilowatt per hour starting from January 1st, 2022 in the case of the draft in case the draft law is adopted. Well, such a nominal fee introduction is more symbolic rather than a real one. Besides, it aims in kickstarting the crypto administration process in the country. As per the Data Center Industry and Blockchain Association, crypto miners in Kazakhstan currently consume 3.3% of the total energy consumption of the country every year. Speaking to local news publication Cursive, Albert Rao, deputy of the tax code department, said, quote, we have we have to adjust our legislation with real life because as a matter of fact, mining work in the country, it is done in a parallel reality. OK, guys, you got to understand this is just a bad translation. I'm not sure what country CoinGate comes at CoinGape comes out of, but the the reason these sentences are really weird and confusing 
is simply because it's clearly being translated from another language. Sorry for it, but there's nothing I can do about it. Continuing, as per the estimates of local agencies, there are currently 13 crypto mining farms in Kazakhstan, and the country accounts for 6.17% of the total Bitcoin mining operation. Outside China, it competes against other giant nations like Russia at 6.29% and the United States at 7.15%. As per the Ministry of Digital Development, Innovations, and Aerospace, crypto mining operations in Kazakhstan generated a revenue of between $18 and $25 million every month. Despite the minor fees, local Cryptocurrency miners in Kazakhstan aren't happy with the new proposal of taxing crypto operations. Alan Dejorviv, president of Kazakhstan's Blockchain Association, said implementation of a new additional tax in a specific industry, in this case in the mining industry, can cause a precedent that would affect Kazakhstan in terms of investment attractiveness. Investors are used to evaluating the risk of regulation impact and would prefer more stable and reliable jurisdictions, end quote. He further added that the electricity costs in Kazakhstan are now at par with that of the U.S., Norway, and Iceland. Introducing an additional tax will further discourage local miners, forcing them to move out. Okay, so if what he said is true and the Kazakhstan uh, electricity rates are on par with the United States and places like Norway, yeah, anything additional is just going to make them pull up stakes from Kazakhstan and I don't know, they'll float they'll float their boat across the Atlantic and go over to uh uh or actually they'll have to go the other direction. El Salvador's on the Pacific side. They'll just end up somehow or another getting their shit over to El Salvador and they'll just plug into a fucking mountain and go. Because that's how easy it's going to be. Now, the question is, is El Salvador going to do stupid shit like tax their miners? I don't know. Apparently, this is just the way nation states operate. They can't think outside of revenue income from anything other than tax. They just can't think outside of that box. Is there no other way? Is there no other fucking way that a nation can make all of its necessary income without taxing the living snot out of its citizenry? Is it even possible? I think that it is, but I'll bet you my ass that I can get a room full of Nobel laureate economists who tell us that there's no other way. And I think that they're all full of shit. Why? Because the Nobel Prize ain't what it used to be, people. Helen Parts is going to tell us more about Russian central bank's short-sightedness regarding crypto. Uh, this is out of Coin Telegraph, by the way. A Russian state Duma member has blasted the central bank's tough stance on the cryptocurrency industry for ignoring the growing demand for crypto in the country. Fedo Tumusov, a member of the A Just Russia party, representing the Siberian region of Yakutsk, has criticized the Bank of Russia's approach to regulating the crypto industry following a Tuesday plenary meeting of the state Duma. In a Tuesday Telegram post, he outlined the growing need to create an ecosystem that allows Russian residents to purchase cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin amid increasing demand. The official argued that despite Russia enforcing crypto legislation earlier this year, the Bank of Russia has been negligent, refusing to authorize local banks to offer crypto investment services. He further said that central bank governor Elvira Nubalina has been speaking openly about the bank's reluctance to deal with decentralized cryptocurrencies, focusing on a state-controlled digital ruble instead. Quote, 
Reluctance or not, this will not change the situation. It is necessary not to struggle with the reality, but rather to adjust with it, to respond to the challenges of the time, end quote, he said. The lawmaker noted that many countries around the world offer clear tax laws and policies that allow the industry to develop. He stated that Russia needs method, <coughs> excuse me, methods to deal with crypto that aren't just prohibitions. Quote, short-sightedness can be costly for Russia. Cryptocurrencies are the reality. Either we accept it or we will lose, end quote. God dang, man, nice. Uh, his remarks on crypto came shortly after reports confirmed that major Russian banks such as private bank Tinkoff have been unable to offer crypto services due to the Bank of Russia's tough stance on digital assets. Meanwhile, state-backed commercial banks such as Sberbank and VTB largely criticized the industry, claiming that they don't like Bitcoin because it's too risky. Honey, that's not why you don't like Bitcoin. You don't like Bitcoin because it's got a bigger axe than you do, and it's stronger than you are, and it's more maneuverable than you are, and you know you're going to get your head chopped off. That's why you don't like Bitcoin. It's not because it's too risky. <laughs> oh, well, while Russian banks are hesitant to dive into digital assets, major crypto companies like Binance have established a presence in the country. According to a June report by crypto intelligence firm Chainalysis, Russia is ranked the fifth largest country in the world, according to its estimated realized Bitcoin gains in 2020, following the United States, China, Japan, and the United Kingdom. All right, so this is an echo from yesterday's uh, show. We are talking about Tanzanian president basically told her central bank to get your shit together and get a plan for Bitcoin. Because worst case scenario, Bitcoin doesn't ever really happen. And we all go back to fiat standard and, you know, what have you lost, you know, a, you know, a couple of hundred man hours of work being done to develop a plan. But if you don't have a plan in place and Bitcoin does succeed, and by the way, it will, it ain't going anywhere. It already has one, you know, honestly, then they're going to be left behind. Well, this guy in Russia is like, it's, it's, it's like he's parroting the exact same thing that the Tanzanian president said yesterday, or at least what we read yesterday. And this also reflects on what Russell Okung was telling the Nigerians. You better have a plan in place. This shit's not going away. And if you don't get ahead of it, you will be behind it. And God knows you do not want to be behind this. All right. So even hedge funds in the U.S. may be wising up, although you're going to have to forgive the liberal use of the word crypto in this story. I can't get away from it. Why? Because it's Cointelegraph and they're just crypto crazy over there. But Marie Juliet's going to tell us about this hedge fund thingy. A new survey of 100 chief financial officers at hedge funds worldwide has indicated that the sector is planning a significant increase in its exposure to crypto assets in the near term. Did, did you get that? I know it says crypto. I get it. I, I understand that we all get sick to death of hearing crypto. However, we're just going to have to understand that what was just said is that a hundred chief financial officers at hedge funds are indicating that the entire sector is going to buy more Bitcoin. Sadly, they're also going to buy some shit coins too. But if you, I can't say it more than twice. If you don't get it after that, I don't know what to tell you, 
by the dip. The survey conducted by InterTrust it suggests that if the respondents' forecasts were broadly mirrored across the sector, assets in crypto held by global hedge funds could hit $312 billion. United States-based funds were most bullish about the new asset class, expecting to raise their portfolio exposure to crypto to 10.6% on average within five years. Their European Union and United Kingdom-based counterparts gave a slightly more modest figure, although still significant, 6.8% on average. Intertrust sample included chief financial officers of funds that each manage an average of $7.2 billion in assets. The CFOs themselves personally expected to have a minimum of 1% of their portfolios in crypto. High-profile hedge fund managers such as Paul Tudor Jones have been vocal advocates of Bitcoin amid concerns about inflationary tendencies in the economy. Skybridge Capital CEO Anthony Scaramucci takes a similar view of Bitcoin's potential as a store of value considering it's superior to gold, at least when he's not bashing Trump. I've never seen anybody give so much of a shit about Trump post the Trump administration as Anthony Scaramucci. It's like Trump lives in his head, like rent free and Trump's moving in gold, you know, leaf furniture and shit. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I, you know what? I'm digressing. Let's not do that. Sorry. Another big name in the sector that is backing cryptocurrency is Alan Howard, co-founder of major asset manager Brevin Howard. Well, Well, just this week, Howard invested in two digital asset startups following his earlier investment in a digital asset custody service provider created by Norma in partnership with Ledger and CoinShares. He also owns a 25% stake with One River Digital Asset Management. Uh, oh God, I lost it again. One, One River Digital Asset Management. They also have, have been reports of Brevin Howard's plans to directly invest in crypto. Aside from traditional hedge funds increasing confidence in the asset class, there are also a number of attempts to launch new crypto funds in the hope of replicating the success of Bitwise and Grayscale. So what does this all mean? Buy, buy, buy! That's right. Buy it. Buy the underlying asset, though, uh, because that that thing about uh, Bitwise and, and Grayscale, a lot of people are just getting exposure to Bitcoin simply by investing in, in, in grayscale in whatever way, shape, form, or fashion that they choose to do it. However, I think the smarter move is to own the underlying asset. That's just me though. And, you know, if I'm wrong, then I'm, I'm hosed. But I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't see how I'm like, the only thing that I'm offloading risk for by letting like either buying grayscale shares trust is I'm offloading the risk of holding my own keys and being stupid and losing my own Bitcoin. But honestly, I, the, the, the risk that you take on through that is a lot. I would, honestly, guys, just buy the underlying asset, let the legacy financial freaks figure out how to leverage each other over the barrel. And they're going to end up somebody they're going to end up buying bitcoin and but there is just going to be good for all of us that are holding the underlying asset this is the one chance that you get to hold the underlying asset and watch insurance companies not be able to buy the underlying asset no 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 they got to go buy shares of grayscale to get their exposure which is going to increase the the price of the underlying asset and just Hold the underlying, please, for the love of God. Let's move to this one. 
congressional hearings are ramping up, uh, we are seeing regulators become more and more scared to death, honestly. This is Coindesk's initial Nicholas Day uh, writing this one. The U.S. Congress is holding four different hearings that are directly tied to crypto this month alone, reflecting growing scrutiny around the industry. There, in about 30 minutes, uh, the, the House Financial Services Committee FinTech Task Force is going to kick off a hearing on central bank digital currencies. It's one of four major congressional hearings on crypto this month. It feels like Congress is starting to look a bit more closely at crypto. Four different hearings in June are going to focus on the recent crypto bull market, whether Bitcoin is bad for investors and good for criminals, and what lawmakers can or should be doing about it. To be clear, there have been hearings for years. What's different is we're starting to narrow in on specific issues and clear examples of topics within the industry. Uh, last week, United States Senator Elizabeth Warren, a former presidential contender and a longstanding advocate for consumer protections, uh, hosted a Senate subcommittee hearing on cryptocurrencies on paper. The hearing was about central bank digital currencies, but Bitcoin, and to a lesser extent, shitcoins at large, ended up being the real subject. And if you're Bitcoin, it wasn't a great hi uh, hearing. I guess he said, if, you, if you're in Bitcoin, it wasn't a great hearing. Yeah, yeah, it was. There's not, there's not jack shit Warren can do about it. Sorry, baby, but there's just nothing you can, you're not gonna be able to do nothing. Warren took aim at Bitcoin's price volatility, some of the consumer protections, protection concerns around digital assets and the energy required to secure the Bitcoin network. These are not new concerns. We've been hearing about these for years, but last week's hearing suggests we're getting a, to a new stage of regulatory awareness. Here's my rough historical summary. Bitcoin launches, regulators are aware, but not overly concerned. And we see some guidance about how the Internal Revenue Service or FinCEN will treat it. The initial coin offering boom happens and the Securities and Exchange Commission jumps in with the Dow report and subsequent enforcement actions. Everything changes when the Facebook-led Libra, which is now DM project, is unveiled. This really does feel like the turning point. Crypto went from being this quirky magic internet money to having the potential to destabilize the global financial system. Regulators then start talking about stable coins and stablecoin regulations. At nearly the same time, the coronavirus pandemic begins and regulators start thinking about central bank digital currencies as a regulated government controllable alternative to stablecoins. And then the crypto bull market begins and attracts even more attention. So we've been heading here for a while. The question is, what happens next? I haven't seen any proposed legislation, but the fact we're going to see several more hearings suggests an increasing amount of discussions from lawmakers. There's been a lot of signal on the regulatory front these days. It's worldwide and not just in the US, and it has been, frankly, a little mind-blowing. What's more interesting to me is all of the moves we're seeing suggest policymakers by and large are looking at crypto as something that can and should be regulated, but not something that could or should be banned. Some of this has been developing for years, but the signaling is certainly far more prominent now than it was even 24 months ago. So let's get into this list of what's going on. FinCEN announced it'll finalize its crypto-related anti-money laundering efforts and rulemaking by this autumn in its list of regulatory priorities. The SEC didn't mention crypto at all in its own list of regulatory priorities to the disappointment of Commissioners Hester Pierce and Elad Roisman, 
A dozen Bitcoin exchange traded fund ETF applications are still floating out there, but it's looking increasingly like we may not see one approved in the near future. Speaking of which, the SEC has unsurprisingly deferred a decision on the Cryptoin application by 45 days. The Central American Bank for Economic Integration will form a technical group to help El Salvador figure out how to implement its Bitcoin bill after a request from the Central American nation. Argentina's central bank is investigating a number of fintech firms for providing unauthorized crypto-related services. The bank did not reveal the names of the firms. You can read, oh, never mind, sorry. Sorry, my eyes went weird. Uh, South Africa wants to regulate crypto businesses and the digital assets sector more broadly with its financial regulator proposing anti-money laundering rules and other actions to be more tightly overseen by the industry. The Bank of England published a stablecoin paper. (laughs) It's basically just evaluating how stablecoins or a central bank digital currency might fit into its own economy. U.S. Senator Patrick Toomey wants FinCEN to reconsider the proposed counterparty rule and is concerned that recent FATF guidance might run counter to FinCEN's own existing regulatory position. Okay, right there, FATF, unelected European bullshit that isn't even in this country. I'd say FinCEN should overrule FATF every time that there is a conflict, even though that I'm not a fan of FinCEN either, but fuck FATF. I mean, honestly, all them fat bastards. Iranian President Hassan Rouhani said he wants to regulate crypto as soon as possible after the country previously warmed to the thought of using Bitcoin as a financial instrument. Texas bank uh, or state bank regulator told banks that they can provide crypto custody services under the existing law. So it feels like we're in a holding pattern here. So in, in for informal poll time, uh, oh, never mind. I, again, my, my, uh, eyes kind of went somewhere else. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on in regulation. All right. And it's all this is saying is that expect to see a shit ton more of it. Like Bitcoin regulation is not going away. Does that mean we need to embrace it? Oh, hell no. If we don't treat this properly, and in my proper treatment of this is to think of it as a tug of war where we got cypherpunks and bitcoiners and you know freedom people and anarchists and we got all these things on one side and then you got the nation state and the regulators and the laws and the legacy financial system on the other side and bitcoin is the rope and By us tugging on this rope, we keep it in a certain tension. I'm not looking for a winner or a loser in the tug of war. My concern is keeping the rope out of the mud. And as long as there's tension on the two sides, that rope will not get into the mud pit that is the central resting place for the loser in the war of tug of war. In either event, it's not that I'm not concerned. It's that I'm not freaking out. This is to be expected. So expect more of it. Uh, let's see. Do we want to do this one? Yes, we do. Uh, Bitcoin is not an asset that is designed to be leveraged, said Caitlin Long, or Caitlin Long from Cointelegraph's Rachel Wolfson. We have all eyes are on Bitcoin with the largest cryptocurrency shooting up past 40K on Monday. Unsurprisingly, the price increase happened shortly after Elon Musk said shit, and I don't care what he said. Yet, while Musk tweet may have driven the price of Bitcoin up, some industry experts believe that Bitcoin is not a cryptocurrency that should be leveraged. For example, 
During an exclusive interview with Cointelegraph at Bitcoin 2021 in Miami, Caitlin Long, founder and CEO of Avanti Financial, said that unlike other cryptocurrencies, solvency matters more than leverage and, and liquidity when it comes to Bitcoin. Quote, once you get into Bitcoin and you start losing money, I consider that to be a really valuable tuition for really learning what Bitcoin is. We've got a lot of new people in this industry now who are going through those lessons and hopefully folks will learn from them. Especially in this bull market, there's been so much leverage added to the system. For those of us who've been around for a long time, we've learned these lessons a long time ago. You don't leverage Bitcoin, end quote. In addition to advising that Bitcoin shouldn't be leveraged, Long mentioned that there are new regulations for Bitcoin coming out of Washington, D.C., something she believes <clears throat> has been coordinated with other government bodies. It was Ray Dalio who said that Bitcoin's biggest threat is success because that means the regulators are going to be cracking down, Long said. Although this may be, Long pointed out that regulations will not ban Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies as long as users comply. She said, quote, the punchline is, is that if you pay your taxes and get regulated and you don't take shortcuts, you're going to be okay. Those are those that are trying to commit crimes or defraud consumers or not pay taxes and not comply with the law. Then those people are not going to be okay, end quote. Long also noted that regulations around stable coins are a priority for lawmakers. In particular, this will ensure that stablecoins don't infect the United States dollar payment system with liquidity risk. To put this into perspective, Long mentioned the accidental hard fork that happened for a few hours on Ethereum during November 2020, saying, quote, At the time, I was thinking, what would happen if all the Ethereum ERC-20 stablecoins had to be redeemed within the span of minutes because they had to be burned on one fork and reissued on another? That is not a risk that the traditional financial system is, has been thinking about, end quote. Sounds like a risk nobody should actually be thinking about because it's not a risk that you should take. I'm just saying, that, that, I mean, she really uncovers that right there. What I'll tell you what happens, all the forks burn. That's what happens if you have to do something like burn every single ERC stable coin to get it onto another fork. The entire system collapses. It's so bloated. I don't even want to get into why I think that way. Just if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Finally, Long commented on the risks associated with stablecoins back in May, warning that the entire stablecoin market has the potential to bring down other tokens upon a credit market correction. Well, you know, she's been in the business for a lot, long, you know, she's been in the business for a long time. And I'm sure she has, you know, her her things to to say about, you know, stable coins. I since I don't use stable coins, I honestly could give less of a shit. But that's gonna do it for the morning roundup. I can't let you go without at least a daily train wrecked. Uh, recalling what we started the show out with, the Michael Saylor tweet announcing $1 billion of sales of MicroStrategy uh, stock for Bitcoin. Here's Peter Schiff's reaction. You are truly insane. If Bitcoin really uh, will be as successful as you claim, MicroStrategy already holds more than enough to make all your shareholders rich. Your actions don't match your words. These are acts of desperation to keep Bitcoin from crashing by buying as much as you can.
All I can hear in my head is Arnold Schwarzenegger saying, it's not a tumor. This dude's got some serious brain damage. There's, he can't call that position either way. He is just as wrong or right about him already, or my, Michael Saylor already holding as much Bitcoin as it takes to get uh, his shareholders rich, as he is just as right and wrong about the fact that he's doing it to keep Bitcoin from crashing. You're not going to keep Bitcoin from crashing by buying a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. That, that's not going to happen, especially not the way that he's going to do it because he's not going to be market buying this shit. He never does. He always goes OTC. Most of the smart people do. Unless you're buying like really small amounts, like you're just retail, of course you're going to market buy. But if you're like, at a, if you're like throwing out, you know, 250, 400, 500, 600 million dollars and you just want to buy a shit ton of Bitcoin with it and nothing else, you're not going to do that on the open market. You're, you're, you would suffer way too much slippage on price to the upside and you would end up buying a lot less Bitcoin at the end of the day than if you just went over to Coinbase Pro and said, I need your OTC trading desk. I need to purchase $500 million worth of Bitcoin. Make that shit happen. Don't signal it, you know, don't signal to the, to the market so that I can get as much Bitcoin as I can. So I don't know what, I don't know where Peter Schiff learned all this shit, but I, I, if I was taking, if, if I had been taking advice from Peter Schiff all these years, I would stop doing so right now, honestly, because the man is demented, man. Anyway, oh, I should do that joke. Well, I can't find it, but I got this one from Dad Says Jokes. Waitress, how did you find your steak, sir? I just looked next to the potatoes and there it was. Can you hear my rooster in the background? Is it driving you nuts? Well, he went after one of the chickens so hard yesterday that I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep him, keep him alive. I had been threatening to, to uh, graduate his ass to uh, the stew pot. Uh, a while back and never got around to it because he is a lot of fun, but it looks like he's causing some serious, he, he may be like poised to cause some serious damage to some of the chickens. I can't have that. So he may be, uh, he may be Sunday dinner this Sunday. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how he acts. Anyway, again, thank you to Brady for the massive shout out that I got yesterday. Um, God, I got a lot of followers out of that shit, dude. Um, it was, it's one of those things where this is a th one of the things about the space that I love more than anything else is the way Bitcoiners support each other. You know, I, I mean, I listen to, you know, Citizen Bitcoin. I listen to Max Bybit. I listen to um, Princey. I listen to clear. I mean, I listen to Rabbit Hole, <laughs> Rabbit Hole Recap, Gamcast, TFTC. You know, I, I'm like, I, I love telling people about other, <clears throat> other Bitcoiners podcasts because they're covering different stuff. I, I cover the news, man. I've had a couple of, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, good interviews, but everybody, I mean, like, you know, there's interviews everywhere. You know, that's, I want to, I want to be able to do a show every single day that I can produce basically, you know, from end to end, you know, from sitting down with nothing to an hour long or so show uploaded to, you know, to an RSS feed within two and a half hours. 
you know, and, and hardly anybody's just doing daily news. And that's why I do it because if nobody else is doing it, and this is what I, I'm like going, shit, I wish I had somebody read me the news every day. I looked for it. I never could find it. So I said, fuck it, I'll do it. Anyway, I hats off and many thanks to Brady over at Citizen Bitcoin uh, for that shout out yesterday. And if you want to help, uh, you can always listen to the podcast via the Breeze Wallet's internal podcasting app. And you can stream me sats while you listen to it. Tell your friends, five-star reviews anywhere you can. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.